Welcome to TalkEerie.com's Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast. Every day, we tackle the biggest issues that the Erie PA region faces. Stay informed and involved as we advance the narrative of Erie. Now, here's Joel Natale. Joining us is one of the co-founders of the Blue Coats, Brother Daryl Craig. Uh, Daryl, so good to see you, sir. Absolutely. All right. So uh, I'm going to just, we don't have a ton of time. I'm just going to get right to it. You know, the Blue Coats have been around a long time, and I would imagine the focus of the program has evolved. So what have the, you know, with uh, last week notwithstanding, what have the Blue Coats been focusing on these days in the recent months? Mostly a lot of outreach, uh, trying to impact and inspire our community on different levels, always surrounding safety of some sorts. Uh, We went through that whole thing with the pandemic where we did a lot of outreach concerning uh, masking, Mm. taking precautions, uh, helping the school district make the adjustment from in person to virtual by doing outreach. Uh, you were helping out with some of the truancy for the kids that weren't turning their computers on, absolutely, right? I mean, absolutely. In fact, I just left Brand Polito, and that's where we kind of left off at. If you look at the behaviors of some of these kids that have gotten us all here in this moment, I wonder what their attendance over the pandemic looks like. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, I wonder if we were to go back and look and see if that particular kid was logging on or some of the kids that are performing these acts where they logging on during the pandemic. I guarantee you I wouldn't be surprised to find out, probably not, because during the pandemic what uh, motivated us to do the outreach that we did during the pandemic was that we were running into so many kids in the streets that should have been at home logging on to computers and being in a virtual classroom somewhere. But not only are we seeing you out in the streets, we're seeing kids in abundance out in the street, which was very alarming. And so when you look at the kids that seem to be lagging behind right now, we all were impacted by the the pandemic and probably the kids more so than we can even imagine. But those who seem to be extremely uh, impacted by it, I just wonder what their experience being out of school for such an extended time was like. Was this kid ever engaged? You know, was he logging on? Was she logging on? And And you think about it, they didn't have... uh... You know, other other than what your you and your team were able to do, they didn't have that that in person you know person to kind of t- tag them along or to you know check in with them or something like that. Absolutely. So many people had emotional health issues during the pandemic, and I could imagine that you know where, where we have you know when we think about the layers mm-hmm. of of whether it's trauma or the layers of of you know just having tough times. The pandemic just added a, just another Overall other dysfunction. layer. Yes. You know, uh, we already noticed some of the uh, students that we see and families that we see coming into our schools and in our community are already dealing with very traumatic uh, 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 circumstances in existence, realities, so to speak. So now you take that child 
And school is the only somewhat normal that they've been seeing in a 24-hour span. Take them out of that school uh, resource, take that resource away, and this kid is totally immersed around the clock into possible trauma and dysfunction for over a year. When that kid comes back to school, he or she is something like we've never experienced now, right? We have kids that are coming into the school that are, I don't want to say personally traumatized, because how do you personally traumatize somebody, but they have a coping mechanism by having access to the school, okay, for their trauma. But now that's gone, and then we are adding to the trauma with the things that the pandemic has brought about. Uh, Social contact is limited. Mm -hmm. Um, Resources are limited. And then you take a parent. Not every parent was laid off during the pandemic. A lot of these parents had to keep on working. A lot of these parents were frontline workers, and they had to keep on working. So now this kid has no structure. And we know kids are going to create their own structure if we don't provide one for them. And so there's certain lifestyles and certain cultural things, whether good, bad, or indifferent, that exist that provide this structure for some. Now you've got kids who normally wouldn't be caught up in some things, but because he has nothing else, that temptation is overwhelming and it's, the only thing that seems to be available, and this kid starts to indulge in some things they normally wouldn't do. Uh, take the kid that supposedly, allegedly did this shooting. Yeah. I know for a fact this kid is not a shooter. This kid doesn't want to be a gangster. This kid doesn't want to shoot. He didn't want to shoot anybody. Some things happened. Some things happened, and even with these things happening, this kid had plenty of opportunities to pull the trigger, and he didn't. Something led up, and something pressured him and motivated him to finally giving in and doing what he did. And I don't know how true some of the backstory right. is because right. I wasn't there, but I know that there's enough of this backstory being told that some of it has to be valid. I, I, I want to jump in here because we'll we'll get to that in a second. When we met about seven or eight years ago, we were working together on the anti-violence initiative, Unified mm-hmm. Erie, which was in reaction to gun violence back then right. in, in the mid-teens, right? You know, after some community efforts, the, the street gunplay seemed to decrease, but in the last year or so has seen an uptick. In about a minute here, what do you think has happened in the last year or two? Do you think it's all pandemic-related? I think that is definitely pandemic-related. Police weren't as aggressive. Um, I know that for a fact that the social contact thing was kind of being shunned, so there were no call-ins, right? Right. And then you think about this. I just described a, a process in which younger kids have fallen into this kind of like uh, culture of violence, right? This is totally new. We never saw this before. This has nothing to do with the merger of Erie High, the closing of schools. We had that thing tamed, for lack of a better terminology. Um, 
crime and gun violence and gang violence on in Erie was down to zero, not one gang-related homicide. We had not one gang-related incident at Erie High in the first year of the mer uh, merger. But then here comes the pandemic. But look at who is performing these acts. Look at their ages. Nobody expected that we would be seeing 13-year-olds connected to possible homicides. Nobody thought that 13-year-olds would be the victims of these homicides. That's been happening in other places, but Erie, we've done good. We've never had a school shooting in the school, but we have had shootings around our school. And you have blue coats at the middle schools, right? Yes. Yes. And they're in... Um, and a lot of people misunderstand our role at the school. Yeah. First of all, we're not security, okay? Right. Even though we do interrupt. But we are also not in the school all day long. We're not there 24-7. Now, we do have some blue coats at the K-5 through level who remain in the school all day, assisting teachers and assisting um, with the younger children. But... We haven't had that type of access at middle school or high school. In fact, five minutes before, maybe 10 minutes before the shooting, the Bluecoats at Erie had just come out of the school after having done a hallway walk. If they had wow. remained longer, they probably would walk right into the shooting. I mentioned to you off air that I saw uh, the video on uh, Facebook, and, and the phrase was, enough is enough. Please tell us what you mean by that. So for years, we've seen these things coming that are happening. For years, we've been dealing with the violence that's already existed. But also for years, we've all come into this absolute knowledge that the only effort that is going to bear us any fruit is a unified effort. 100%. So when you hear Bishop Brock and Bishop Stanton, myself, Mike Hooks, uh, Elvin Vincent, the Blue Colts, House of Prayer, Friendship uh, Baptist, Victory Christian, and I'm thinking about all the people that are getting behind this, this uh, Enough is Enough campaign. When you hear us saying that, we're saying enough is enough of the violence, but enough is enough of the lack of participation by the rest of us. Because this is not a black thing. This is not a, a, a neighborhood thing. This is a human issue. Mm -hmm. This thing impacts us all one way or the other, some way, somehow we can't escape it. Say, for instance, um, you're riding through a neighborhood and you decide to go across a certain street and you in your car or you're walking or whatever and you get hit with a stray bullet. Your child gets hit with a stray bullet. We have an 86-year-old lady that lives about four blocks from right here who's sleeping in her bathtub. Did you hear what I just said? She, she, she on, on, a, on, a nightly, on a nightly, night, on a nightly basis, crawls into her bathtub to sleep so she can sleep safely because her house has been hit with stray bullets. Oh, my. Not only is that appalling and unheard of, any one of us that is not concerned about this level of violence that we're seeing today should be ashamed of ourselves. We also should be ashamed of ourselves to blame anybody if we have not made efforts to participate. 
So this is a human problem that affects us all, and we need everybody's voice to resonate as one. One of the biggest things that is happening now, this spirit of duplication, I won't work with Joe, but I'll create what Joe is doing and do it over here. Why do totally we need to do divisive, that? Yeah. Right? And so the kids look at us, and we're talking about unity, and you all should get along. And they say, well, you adults are the ones that model this this behavior daily. You got churches that won't work with churches. I'm a pastor, too, so I'm allowed to say this. I'm qualified to say this. You got individuals that won't work with this organization because this organization has somebody in it that they don't like. or I mean, just real childish stuff. We seem to have this feeling that it's somebody else's problem to solve. If there's issues that go on in your house and it spills out into my yard, I am not the one that can fix that. You are the one that can fix it because the roots are with you, right? Mm. So if there's issues starting in my neighborhood that is spilling out into other parts of the city, Lo and behold, the police are going to try to address that, but they can't address that alone. Effectively, it has to be helped along by those who live where it starts. I mean, and, and that's kind of what the superintendent said in his statement last week, is that the youth violence in the streets, the rising violence has spilled into what I've been calling the sanctuary of the school. Absolutely. Well, okay, let's go back couple years into the pandemic, all of us witnessed a rise in violent crimes being committed by juveniles now, individuals under the age of 18, right? That means by law, each and every one of them is mandated to be in a school. They have to be in the school. So your dysfunction and your emotional uh, uh, condition does not get left at home. It goes where you go. There's no geographical cure. You don't get up, even you, me, whatever bad habits that we've developed or that we're struggling with, whatever issues we're struggling with, when we get in our car and drive to Pittsburgh, we don't leave those issues here. They go to Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's right? It. That's it. So now we're housing in our schools the problem. Because the problem is in the individual. So the problem wasn't that the schools were merged. The problem was within, uh, finish, that, the, finish and, the sentence. Yeah. And that is a bad, bad, totally inaccurate statement that mm -hmm. the merger caused this to happen. Okay, the first couple years of the merger, we didn't have one gang-related incident. Not one. Mm -hmm. Not one. I was there. I bear witness to it. So then, how did the merger cause this? We're three years or almost four years into the merger, and we just started seeing this level of stuff going on. So how do you attribute that to the merger? It's the same thing with individuals that believe that Unified Erie did not work. I beg to differ. We saw immediately after the first two call-ins a drop in shots fired, a drop in shootings, and a plummet to zero in gang-related homicides. And it lasted for almost three-plus years. 
So you can't attribute that. You can't say that it didn't work because here's the thing. Take the difference. When we first announced Unified Erie, uh, Hammett backed out. They were supposed to house it. They saw that this uh, uh, people being disgruntled about it. They backed out, and I don't blame them, right? Well, during that stretch between the time that Unified Erie was announced and it actually was up and implemented, 17 more people died. Wow. A lot of people don't know that. Between the time they stopped the initiative from um, taking place, from being initiated, to the time it was actually initiated, 17 people died. 11 of those I personally know, because I did my research, mm -hmm. would have been eligible for the services or would have been involved in the call-in or they were eligible for services through reentry. Okay, now we initiate. They did the first one at the House of Prayer, and immediately within the next month or so, you saw a decrease. They did another one a few months later, and all of a sudden... You start hearing things like, no, I am not associated with these names that you are talking about, wow. Four Nation and 1800, these so-called gangs, yeah. right? And then we saw gang-related homicides go to zero. Now, all of a sudden, there's an uptick in violence again. There's a, a declaration being made by very young children who were babies at the time of the first call-in starting to declare themselves as being part of these gangs, right? Or being belonging to something that's supposed to be a gang or whatever, however you have you. Well, you can't blame that on Unified Erie's right. initiative not working. No, what you saw is a change in the times. We saw something different hit humanity that had never hit humanity because we have never had to uproot our children entirely, the whole city, out of school. If you don't think going to school was helping these children, take a look around now. Yeah, there was a lot to be said for a child that was in that building for six hours a day, whether he was uh, his level of, of, of academics was high or low. Right. Being in the there building, was structure there. There was structure. There was something that we would call normalcy. Yeah. Well, let me let me fast forward to last week. Do you feel that th that whatever protective system broke down leading up to that shooting or I I, I feel like I, blue coats and resource officers and and um, behavioral specialists in the schools are all layers, protective layers like we learned in the 40 assets. Absolutely. Something must have broken down. No, I, I won't say that it broke down because there was always the knowledge after everybody realized what was upon us with the age limit uh, spiraling downward to such a degree, 12-year-olds, even some 11-year-olds being associated with some of this stuff. There was a general consensus throughout the city with everybody I knew. It was always talked about that it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, wow. right? And going back to the conversation you and I were having earlier, that night before the shooting, I was on the phone with several ministers and pastor friends of mine and other people, and that whole day I was just venting 
about what I feel is a lack of true urgency concerning this whole issue. We had an 11-year-old girl have a gun pointed at her and its uh, trigger get squeezed right at her head, like two weeks before that. We had a house down the street, maybe four or five blocks, maybe, maybe longer from here that was shot up repeatedly. Well, guess what? The little girl who had the gun pointed at her head and the trigger pulled lives in that house. Her house had already been shot up. Dad has already shown us the pillows where her bedroom got shot up, and she's got bullet holes in her pillow, right? Earlier today when the you, first— You realize how hard it is to hear that this is in the city of Erie, Pennsylvania. Okay, and thank you. I'm glad it's hard to hear. But it didn't seem like it was hard to hear because what was the response mm. community-wide? See, it ain't my house. It ain't my neighborhood. It ain't my daughter, right? And that's across the board. I ain't talking about a black or white thing. I'm talking about people in general. That's what it seemed like the response was, because you would think that having an 11-year-old have a bullet hole in their pillow would be enough to make every adult lose their mind, that we would all scream as one, enough is enough. But it didn't happen. And that's what we mean by enough is enough. Enough of, is enough of being silent on this issue. Enough is enough with being concerned about this issue. Enough is enough with adults going about their regular routine as if this somehow is not their business. When I was young and I was involved in gangs in the city of Buffalo, I was homeless as a teenager. There was a woman who was a community activist God bless her, may she rest in peace. Mildred Prim took all the neighborhood kids in, and she brought me a leather jacket for Easter because Easter is a big deal in the black community, and if you didn't have a new outfit, it could really wreck your, your self-esteem. And I remember asking her, and she had so many kids of her own, why she did that for me. And she told me was that the world was responsible for children, and that was because every adult in the world was shaping the world that children were being born into. And so we're all somehow responsible for these children because we make the rules. We do the damage to the world or either we make the world a better place. And somehow every adult on the planet affects the world. And so whatever that kid is born into has been established by us, the adults. Yeah. And that's why she did that for me. It, 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 this this is an element that has really occurred to me is that the children can't fix this themselves. It's got to be the adults who fix this from every sector, from every corner Absolutely. of the community. Absolutely. And in the church, they have uh, labels they hand out when it talks about sin you have what's called the sin of commission sins that are actually committed but there's the sin of omission yes the sin of you not doing something that you should be doing i got to ask you about systems and um and 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 also policy so uh the teach well do you feel like there's been any change in policy within the school district that are enabling kids from acting out um, 
you know, the lack of uh, some, you know, of prosecuting summary offenses or, you know, or, you know, how procedures are done when there's when there's uh, problems within the classroom. Once again, we have to issue a blanket indictment on that, just on that statement there, because okay. you have a school district and not just ours where the school district shapes its policies according to the pressure that it gets from the community that it serves, right? So for years, here we are in 2022, and we don't have metal detectors in our high school, with school shootings being off the chain, not just in urban areas. In fact, urban areas are the last ones to have school shootings in schools, right? It's rural and suburban, yeah. And we still didn't have... Uh, metal detectors. Now, as we pushed for these metal detectors, it was always pushback that you're going to put these metal detectors in the school. I think you saw some of that in the newspaper the other day. Mm -hmm. And it makes our children look like they're bad children. It makes the school look like a, a, a prison. I beg the different. Metal detectors are an acceptable part of society today and has been for over 30 years. You can't go anywhere without there being a metal detector. We couldn't go to the Philharmonic without going to a metal detector. So if a kid <laughs> gets shot, the kid has to pass through a metal detector to get treatment at the hospital. <sighs> yes. And we don't have metal detectors in schools with the uptick. And so our kids are somehow not strong enough emotionally to accept that the metal detector is the result of the bigger world at large and has really not much to do with them. But everywhere else they go, they see metal detectors and they don't feel like they're walking into a prison. So some of the stuff, and the reason I brought that up is some of the policies are being shaped by pressure or influence from people who have the right heart but are not thinking things out all the way. Okay, we have this whole thing right now where we've been addressing what's called the school-to-prison pipeline. Yes. And it needed to be addressed. 100%. And it still needs to be addressed. It's not fixed. But, but in a season where juvenile violence is predominant, in our city. It's the predominant violence in our city is juvenile violence. You do not strip down your safety barriers without first assessing the threats. Wouldn't it be a, a, a corollary to say, you know, when there's high community transmission of COVID, we wear the masks and we stay home and it, it's the similar thing. We have a high community transmission of youth violence right now. We've got to ramp up Safety measures. Absolutely. So now we have the ugliest, one of the ugliest incidents of police brutality and just outright murder. Yes. Sickening. I, I, I can't even explain to you the anger as a black man. And we've been screaming about that forever. They're abusing us. They're abusing us. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have this happen. And I get it. Everybody is up in arms, and we should be, and I don't think we were up in arms enough. We should have been even more. We should still be demonstrating. 
with the George Floyd thing. But at the same time, with the rise in youth violence, this is not a time to take down safety measures. This is not a time to take down safety measures in our school. You don't get rid of your school district police department unless you got something compatible to take the place. So you got this guy uh, that took the job, the, the new chief, yes, whatever yeah. he's called, mm -hmm. hasn't been on the job for two months. He start, we start him off in the hole because during the pandemic, all of the district officers are laid off. And it comes to light, they're the lowest paid in the state anyway. Of right? Our resource officers yeah, there? In the state, wow. right, at that time. Yeah. And now we're going to let the kids back in the school. Juvenile crime is on the rise. Juvenile shootings is on the rise. Homicide is on the rise. The proliferation in the presence of gang violence is back at an all-time high. And then we're going to take some kids who have not only been re-traumatized by the impact of COVID, but some of them been totally immersed in their trauma for over a year and a half, and we're going to flood a building that's massive with 89 doors and entrances, right? Gang violence back among school-age children, and every child has to go to the same school. We're going to flood them back into the school, but we don't have coverage. We got two police officers demand this school, right, at the time. So now this new guy comes in and he's scrambling to hold this thing together and the repair damage that was done by the adults by stripping it down in the first place. You know, and I just think that before we do anything, maybe we should breathe a little bit and make sure it's a well thought out response to these things. Because unfortunately, our identity in Erie is not going to be the same as the identity of Buffalo or Cleveland or Pittsburgh. And though they might be somewhere else able to change their, you know, tear down their resource officers and, you know, mm -hmm. and when I say yeah. tear down, but yeah. dispose of that program. Is Erie really ready for that yet? Let's find that out first. Let's yeah, let's let's research it. Use let's use a database driven a data driven situation. Okay, we're down to our last three minutes with Brother D here from the Blue Coats. I want to go to the solution side, and and I feel like uh, in in the video that I saw with you and Danny Stanton it, that there there are tangible solutions here that the community can can access can. Just go with it. What What are your thoughts? Number one, okay, we've identified that it's about 1% of the individuals in our city, in our schools, in our neighborhoods that are causing these incidents. I say you give that 1% the utmost attention so that we make that spirit uncomfortable wherever it's at. Number two, and probably more important than number one, is that all of us together realize that we can't do it alone. There's not a one-size-fits-all. And let's stop pointing the finger at everybody except for self. Mm -hmm. Let's all take into account what have I contributed to the problem? What have I contributed to 
the solution. I say that if you're going to complain, let us see your resume first. Okay. What have you in your works in this area? And um, if we do number two, if we come together as one and stop worrying about who's getting credit, stop trying to reproduce our own version of what will work and join on and make that stronger, I think we win. And I'll say this for anybody that's listening, whether you join on or not, whether you come out of your home or not, whether you change your thinking and decide to put your efforts along with those that are known to work, we are going to impact this because we are not going to give up. There are some of us who understand that this is not a job that we can quit. Yeah. 30 seconds. You know, we have success stories within the city school district, and most of those indicate a high level of expectation, a high level of respect. Is there a way to have high expectations from our children, from our teachers, from our staff in order to have higher outcomes? Absolutely. One will lead the other into it. And so if the adults model high expectations, they transfer it on to the children. If the children do it, likewise, they transfer it back on to us. And we must celebrate. We must celebrate those who are actually trying. So we have to get back to being able to give a compliment, give a pat on the back and an encouragement to those who are genuinely trying instead of tearing each other down. Brother Daryl Craig from the Blue Coats, thank you so much, sir. You've been listening to the Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast from TalkErie.com. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcatcher and get involved by emailing joel at TalkErie.com. <laughs>